afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Peace and grace upon you all. Thank you so much for staying tuned in, locking those dials here for WHGE 95.3 FM. We are your station. We it, it, This is community black radio for us, by us, for you. And I am Rochelle Wilson, founder and CEO of Make Some Intelligent Noise, the justice movement here today, Wednesday, doing the political power hour every Wednesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Every Saturday at 1 o'clock p.m., we are making some intelligent noise. Thank you for staying tuned in with us. Uh, I'd like to begin by resounding peace and grace. How are you? How are you doing today? I pray that you are well. Many of you are probably leaving the workplace and you may be driving along in your cars on your way home or to the supermarket or the daycare to pick up the children, wherever you are, stay locked in with us today. I've got an excellent guest, a very important public elected official who will be joining us in just a few moments. But first, allow me to remind you of the importance of the August quarterly celebration from August 21st until August 28th historically held at the Mother African Union Church on 9th and Franklin Street, 812 North Franklin Street, uh, 10 a.m., 1 p.m. These events are taking place all week long, and many of us know that the August Quarterly stands for our religious independence, the religious independence. Thank you to Mr. Peter Spencer, who is the founder of the first independent church for blacks in the, in the entire Delmarva Peninsula. Slaves were allowed for that one week, one week, slaves from all over the Delaware Peninsula were allowed to come to Wilmington, Delaware to celebrate and enliven their spiritual lives. Thanks to Mr. Peter Spencer, 1813, and he started the August quarterly in 1814. And so we celebrate Peter Spencer. We celebrate the joyous religious freedoms and festival of the August quarterly every single August 21st to August 28th. It's not too late. So please uh, do a quick Google search, pull it up. Mother African Union Church, 9th and Franklin Street. Find out what is the itinerary, what's going to be going on. We want you to come out and celebrate the rich history of August Quarterly. Peter Spencer, thank you so much. The pioneer who had the courage and the bravery in 1813 to start our own religious freedom festival. So thank you, Mr. Peter Spencer. We love you and we appreciate you for that. Also want to remind you if you are dealing with any form of addiction, and there are as many forms of addictions as there are human beings on the planet, please feel free. Eastside Pride 
every single uh, Tuesday from 6.45 until approximately 8.30. We are here hoping to help you and to revitalize communities through the healing process and recovery process of addictions. So please check us out, Central Baptist Church, Eastside Pride in collaboration with WHGE. We are working to save people in the community. If you cannot get to the Eastside, please, please, if you or someone you love is dealing with an addiction, especially now, uh, I did an interview recently uh, with Lion Daniels, the, the governor for the Lions Club of Delaware and the whole Northeastern Corridor. So he has expressed to us that the opioid epidemic, it's a crisis. It's a crisis once it reaches a certain number in certain communities and neighborhoods, it becomes a whole crisis. And ladies and gentlemen, we have reached that point. So we're asking if you or you someone that you love is dealing with an addiction, please, you are not alone. You do not have to go through this alone. Please reach out and get some help. You can pull it up on your Google or walk into any of your churches, synagogue, a masjid, wherever it is that you are able to worship and pray. These people have information to help you. So uh, you don't have to deal with addiction and you don't have to be do it alone. I'm Rochelle Wilson. Thank you for staying tuned in. In just another moment, we're going to get that elected official in here and we're going to talk politics. But I've got to remind you that on Saturday, Saturday, October 15th, 2022, at 5 o'clock p.m., the Legacy Award Celebration for SeaTac. Citizens, churches take a corner. It will be taking place, and we're asking you to call, reach out to SeaTac at 302-377-5984. Have a conversation. Find out how can you get your business promoted into their booklet. All right. It's a banquet dinner. We'd love to see you there. Love to have you participate. So please reach out to SeaTac at 377-5984-302 area code. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to bring my guest in for today. Uh, we are doing an amazing interview. We've got House Representative, Mr. Larry Lambert. Uh, so let's welcome him into the building. Hello, Mr. Lambert. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That's very kind. Now, you are the House Representative for the 7th District? That is correct. That is the 7th House District the northernmost house district in Delaware, which is right on the PA line. It includes the communities of Claymont, the Ardens, as well as Brandy 100 in Gwynhurst. Well, I'm very familiar with the, uh, the, the situations and circumstances and the issues that we deal with here in the inner city of Wilmington. And as I'm sure you're also very familiar with them, uh, what's going on out at Claymont? I mean, do they have any issues? Uh, there are significant issues going on in Claymont. 
there are a lot of positive things going on as well. And we love to uplift and shine the light on those wonderful, positive things going on. Yes. Some of the most talented, wonderful neighbors are right here in our 7th House District. When it comes to challenges, which all communities have, yes. some of the challenges that we have are that Claymont was disproportionately impacted by the opioid crisis. With Claymont being right on the PA line, we have a situation where sometimes uh, some of the more negative elements from Chester will come down. And sometimes even some of the elements that can't cut it in Wilmington or or looking for like a, a an easier way, they come up north to Claymont as the point of least resistance. Claymont doesn't have a, its own police force. Oh. And in that regard, what happens is Claymont is sometimes seen as a little bit of a soft target. So in that regard, that's why we really honor our Newcastle County Police, our Delaware State Police for the amazing work that they do in an area where we might not have some of the same resources as like our big brother city, the city of Wilmington. Oh, that's amazing. So as a, as a house representative, what are some of the things that you are bringing to the Claymont area? And uh, can you help trickle some of that good stuff down to us here <laughs> in the city? <laughs> Thank you so much for that. So for me as a legislator, half of my job is as a lawmaker to write laws, to get laws passed in the legislature down and over. And the other half of my job is constituent services, connecting residents to resources that they need. In that regard, one of my big bills was the Community Workforce Agreement Act. That act requires that when there are large state-funded construction projects at $3 million or more in value, that there has to be a project labor agreement. So to make a long story short, it's, an, it's a bill where it establishes a pathway to help to get more of the local people hired, more, more people from disadvantaged communities, people of color, women, those with disabilities, etc. So for me, it isn't about talk, it's about actions. For seven years, I, for eight years, I've worked with children and nonprofits. I volunteered for all 11 classes of Delaware's Pathways to Apprenticeship Program well before I even thought about running for office. So in that regard, if we want people to put down a gun and put down a pack, they got to be picking up a job. And in that regard, that's, that, exactly, and that's what I'm working on. Okay. All of our young people don't necessarily project to go to college. And some of our young people even see the return on investment for college getting a little shaky. Uh, just today, you know, President Biden is talking about college debt forgiveness. But when we talk about good, solid union jobs, when we talk about careers, um, family sustaining wage incomes, in that regard, we need to connect our young people to these millions of infrastructure dollars that are coming into our state. Yeah, every, every as a former high school teacher, I, I came to learn, you know, the old antiquated thinking belief system that everybody has to grow up, graduate uh, high school and go right off to college. Like that's that's played out in 2022. Absolutely. A lot of young people today, they they're they're entrepreneurs or they want to learn a trade, how to fix a car, how to weld a bridge, how to whatever. So college isn't everything. I mean, I'm not putting college down. But it's not everything. So I think that's a wonderful um, venue to get our kids out away from the guns 
and into something positive, not necessarily always college. That's kind of getting played out. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate that. And when we talk about Wilmington and my love for Wilmington, today I was at the Western Neighborhood House's graduation for the Environmental Trainee Graduates. That's a program where young people, again, they're not necessarily projecting and going that college track. They may or may not, but they get 12 certifications in environmental services in a four and a half week process. I want to give a Ooh. shout out to Shantae Vincent uh, for her outstanding leadership. Yes. So I got to engage with the young people. I was their invited uh, elected official guest speaker today. So that's what it's really about. It's about connecting our young people to all of this economic opportunity going on around us. Yes. Our tax dollars fund all of these opportunities. It's not okay for millions of our tax dollars to pass through our communities and our young people not to be connected to these opportunities. That's what I'm about. Before I came into office, I was chair of the Delaware Livable Wage Coalition. I was co-chair of Delaware's Banking Desert Initiative, connecting the underbanked and the unbanked to basic banking services in the Route 9 corridor. So for me as a state representative, it isn't just about the meaningful work I've been doing in my community for years. It's about all of Delaware. We're all connected. We're all brothers and sisters. And when challenging times come, people don't care about invisible borderlines. Wow, that's so powerful. How would a parent who may be listening, uh, how would somebody get their child involved in that? Uh, what was that lady's name? Say her name again. Shante C.H. Shante Vincent. Where is she? West End Neighborhood House. West End Neighborhood House. So we can just go to our phones or cellular devices or whatever and Google that uh, to get to, to reach out to Shante. Absolutely. There are wonderful programs at the Western Neighborhood House. Tomorrow I'm doing a formal tour with some of my counterparts in the Delaware legislature. I also want to encourage people in my district to take a look at our Claymont Community Center. They offer wonderful programs too. There are great things going on and what we have to do is we have to be careful around some of those antiquated old narratives that there's nothing for our young people to do. There's nothing out here. Now don't get me wrong. There's always opportunity for improvement. We do need more programs. We need more meaningful programs that connect and engage with our young people where they're at. But if we take a peek, if we simply ask, we simply connect with our neighbors, we will find out there are wonderful programs going on already. Yes, yes. I'm so happy to have you in the house. That's wonderful. Both the radio station house and the house of the General Assembly. That's so, it's really wonderful. I'm so honored to be here. And you were the first person to ever interview me. So this is life coming full circle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are Black Radio. We want to serve. It's for us, by us, to our communities. That's right. Uh, it's because so often I've heard and other journalists have heard uh, our brown hue people say, oh, I didn't know. Well, why didn't you know? Oh, no one told me. No one gave me a flyer. But if you tune in to WHGE 95.3, we're going to tell you what's going on because all of us have a different genre of information to share with our community. So uh, I'm just honored to have you here. So, um, and if I ask a question that technically is better for you not to answer, you can, you can say that. Sure. And let me know, and I'll appreciate it. Uh, but do you have any thoughts? I'm I'm dumbfounded 
that uh, Miss Kathy McGinnis is, I believe is her name is Kathy McGinnis, is running for the Delaware State Treasury again, and she's damn near got one handcuff around her wrist. Uh, and some folks in the House are saying, we need her to not run anymore. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that at all? So, first of all, I really appreciate the question. These are the types of questions that we need to have discussions about. Now, as an elected official, I'm not in the position to comment on other races. So, and you know, my mentors raised me up that way. So, even though I have to stay in alignment with that, I really do appreciate you starting this dialogue. And I just want to encourage everyone to continue to have these dialogues. Yes. One of the reasons why we suffer is because we don't understand civics or we're told, you know, don't talk about politics and religion and things of that sort. No, we need to talk. We yes. need to discuss. And that's how we can make informed decisions that benefit our communities on election day. Now, the primaries are September 13th. Everyone who hasn't mailed it in is going to be out there. I'm a button pusher. I like to push the button. I don't know. I get a big thrill out of it. I push the button, pull the curtain, right? Um, you're not being opposed. That, that is correct. I'm the first Democrat to run unopposed in the 7th District. And I'm also the first person of color to be elected north of the city limits of Wilmington. So I'm really honored that my community entrusted me this election cycle. Now, I want to be clear. I love democracy, uh, elections, opponents. All of that is wonderful. But because I don't have an opponent this election cycle, it really has given me the space to participate in more community events. I've been giving away air conditioners. I've connected communities to resources. And every almost every day I'm involved with another activity that I wouldn't be able to do if I was out knocking doors for another election. Canvassing for another election. Well, I'm glad that no one is opposing you. Uh, and I'll have to talk to you off air about one of those air conditioners. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's talk. Uh, so how can folks uh, support you or back you up? I guess we'll just go and push the button or pull the lever because there's no opposition. So we know to just push the button for Larry Lambert uh, when it gets to the 7th District. Absolutely. So my name will be on the ballot on Election Day. There is an opportunity for write-in candidates if they're interested. And again, we celebrate democracy, but I would appreciate your consideration to entrust me with your vote and to re-elect me on Election Day. You can look me up. You can also donate to me at ActBlue backslash Larry Lambert. Um, kindly look me up. I, I would love your support. There's a lot of wonderful things going on in the community. And you supporting my campaign enables me to be able to give back to a community that's given so much to me. I stand on the shoulders of outstanding community leaders like Miss Rochelle Wilson. And I'm honored to be here on the show today. <laughs> oh, that was so, I'm so humbled by you saying that. <laughs> because I really thought you were going to say I stand on the shoulders of my ancestors. Because that's what I would I that would have too. said that, right? That too. Oh, that's I'm honored to hear you say something like that, and I will do my best to always stand up to that. That's something that I'm going to put up here in in the laptop. Uh, so tell us some more about some of the great things that you're involved in and some of the initiatives, things you'd like to see happen uh, as we move forward. Absolutely. So for me, everything that I do is influenced by listening. I come from the community. My community asked me to run for office in 2018. And I'm honored that I was able to get 
in the office to represent my community in 2020. We came 86 votes shy in 2018, one of the closest races in the state, and we came back again and we won by almost 700 votes in 2020, the largest win of any challenger against an incumbent. So for me, when I started with listening, one of the one of the biggest bills that I was able to work on was establishing the Justice 40 Oversight Committee, an environmental justice committee. When President Biden came into office, his third executive order was his executive order on climate change. And the one of the most important components of that executive order was what he referenced as the Justice 40 Initiative. It established that when it comes to federal infrastructure dollars, which we talked about earlier, when it comes to federal infrastructure dollars coming to the 50 states, infrastructure dollars around climate change, green energy, green jobs, these opportunities, when it comes to those federal dollars, that at least 40% of those investment benefits goes to our overburdened communities. Our communities that have been disproportionately impacted by poverty, by redlining, by mass incarceration, lack of access to quality housing, lack of access to quality education, etc. So in that regard, I worked with my friend, State Representative Gilda Cobb-Hunter in South Carolina, mm -hmm. and one of my heroes, former State Rep Harold Mitchell, mm -hmm. and they tried to get a Justice 40 Oversight Committee passed in South Carolina. Although they weren't successful, they reached out to me and they said, hey Lambert, we know it's your freshman year, what do you think about trying this in Delaware? I connected with state senator Marie Pinckney, an amazing yes. young hero in Dover. Yes. And she's my co-chair, and we were able to get the legislation passed in the last days of the General Assembly last year. So in the past year, we've had four meetings. We've had three community listening sessions across all three counties in Delaware where, again, we started with my philosophy of listening. Our yes. communities yes. have solutions. We have to listen to them because they know their burdens. Mm -hmm. They know how they got to where they are. And the only way for us to unpack that is to get at root cause issues. And that's what they're concerned about. We have to stop this idea of vanity legislation, um, pretty bills and photo ops. It's very important <laughs> that we have meaningful transformative change. That's what I stand for. That's why my community elected me. And that's why I'm so honored to represent them in the General Assembly. I love the way you said that, and I am going to borrow from you. Meaningful, transformative change. change. Meaningful, transformative change. I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, wow. So how could I be a part of that? I'm obviously, I'm in the heart of the city. I'm in the, I believe I live in the second district, I think. Uh, all I know is Senator Darius Brown is my senator. Uh, I, so I think I'm in the second district there. But what can we do? Right now, I recently interviewed with a Mr. His name is literally Lion Daniels, right? Like his, his mom was very creative with that. But he is the governor for the Lions Club for the entire Northeastern Corridor. And we talked about opioid 
addiction, the crisis, the epidemic. Uh, and I think it's safe to say, and even as an elected uh, public servant, you're allowed to say, um, it's been affecting brown-hued people oh, yes. for a very, very long time, oh, yes. uh, probably longer than Mr. Lion Daniels has even been al alive. But now it is affecting all of the communities, and it's, so it's really become an issue. What are some of the services how can people find help to overcome opioid addiction? And and I want to give a shout out to our Lions Clubs. I'm a proud member of the Claymont Lions. Yes. And I want to thank you and SeaTac and the Lions Clubs for coming out and volunteering at our Knollwood event on Saturday. Knollwood isn't currently my district. But because it will be my district on Election Day, I've already been engaged the same way that I was even before I ran for office. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the opioid crisis, now it's a crisis. Now it's considered a health care crisis because it, it impacts all communities and the mainstream community. Mm -hmm. But when these addiction issues, these same health care issues were impacting our communities, they called it they called it a criminal issue. It was about criminality. Mm -hmm. And it required the militarizing of police. And that wasn't acceptable. And that led to further ills, which we still suffer from now, mm -hmm. such as mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that we're in a space now where we can talk about it for what it really is, mm -hmm. which is a health care crisis, an emergency. What can we do? Where should where should people turn? I know there are uh, independent places that people can look to. Um, I, I suppose that's just what we've got to do here for the east side. We've got the Central Baptist Church. I know over on Washington Street, there's a place called the Twelve Twelve Club uh, or building, and they do a lot of assistance there with addiction uh, crisis. Well, well, and and I I love those and I, and I want to make sure that people listen to wonderful radio stations like this to get more information, to stay tuned in to the services that can help. One of the services that have been particularly impactful in the Claymont area is the Newcastle County Hero Help Program. So that is a program where when an individual unfortunately maybe overdoses or has an episode when they're dealing with, with their substance abuse disorder, it's where they can be put on a pathway to going into rehab, to taking necessary steps to amend their ill as opposed to going directly to jail or, or facing some kind of punitive measure that puts them further back behind the eight ball where yeah. now they're... Just spiraling down yeah. down a dark it, a dark hole. Exactly. Everything, you know, America is just seems is built on this principle that whenever anybody has an infraction or if they're not perfect, send them to jail. Just throw them. Away. Just send them to the jail to the prison, and then that's where they're going to get better. And that's not where people get better. Exactly, and that's where that Ava DuVernay documentary called Thirteen yes. on Netflix really talks about that. Uh, as does the new Jim Crow by Michelle mm -hmm. Alexander. Yes. So yes. it's important that we look at these things in proper perspective, in proper context. So for me, there are meaningful programs out there. We want to make sure that people are connecting to those programs. And one of my uh, philosophies is to engage the community directly. Two Thursdays ago, I had Christiana Care. We had Brandywine Counseling. We had Lieutenant Governor Bethany Hall Long. And we went door to door in ev on every street of Norwood, engaging wow. the community, 
stopping people on the street, knocking on people's doors, yes. handing out toys, books, Narcan, asking people how we can be of service, connecting individuals to resources that we yes. just talked about, yes. handing out pamphlets and, and informational materials. Tomorrow, in Overlook Colony, um, probably the second most challenged area of my district, we're going to do the exact same thing. That's what I'm about. It's not just about uh, posting something on social media or, or sharing something on a wonderful radio station like yours. It's about actually engaging. Yes. I'm not afraid of my neighbors. I love my neighbors. Yes. When other people shy away and run, I lean in. So for me, being able to look people in the eye, they know me already, or, or I know them, or I'm meeting them for the first time, it's beautiful that we're right there at your door delivering the services and information you need. And, and I have to honestly say, because, pardon me, I'm the kind of person I love to get the work done. Like, let's, you know, my mother used to tell me, do what you got to do. And then you can do what you want to do. There you go. So you got to get the work done first. And I just, I love getting the work done and clearing my plate because then I can relax and let my hair down, there right? You go. So when I see a public elected servants, uh, civil servants who were actually out in the community doing the work, that makes me want to vote for them. That makes me want to vote for them. The ones that are just, you know, photo opping on social media and at radio stations. Uh, you know, I can see through that. I'm not stupid. That's at right. least I'm not stupid on Wednesdays and Saturdays. <laughs> so, you know, I really appreciate that in you. I really respect that. Thank you. in you as a as a public servant um and so let's keep the conversation going i want to just chime in there's no way we can talk politics without talking about criminal justice or criminality and the justice systems and there i'm putting go. an s on the back of that because it's not a system it's systems uh just recently i was reading something uh from one of my emails uh, that some judges in Pennsylvania have to pay back over $200 million to the children yeah. that they had incarcerated for profit. I'm very they, familiar with Yes, that. they sent Disgusting. kids to jail so for this profit so they can get a kickback. Like, talk about that. Tell me your thoughts on that. Uh, there is a lot of money to be made in criminality. In <laughs> prison and, for profit. There you go. Uh, the preschool to prison pipeline. And for me, it's disgusting. It's nauseating. And these aren't issues that just impact one family. These are the ancillary issues, the ripple, the butterfly effect impacts whole communities. Mm -hmm. We're taking away an entire base of workers, an entire base of leaders. These are individuals that had their entire future ahead of them. They could have been transformative leaders that really impacted their communities, but instead they're caught up in a system and they can't get out of it. And these aren't impacting all communities. These are impacting very specific communities yes. that are being preyed upon, and it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Uh, and, and there's got to be some policy changes from the General Assembly, from all of the legislators. Everybody needs to get on board. Now, I'm not an elected uh, public servant, so I don't know everything, but I've been around the mulberry bush enough to know sometimes it's about 
uh, I'll vote for your policy if you come and vote for my policy. And we kind of elbow a little bit. And that's that's how work gets done. And I'm not opposed to that. I think it's good to be able to negotiate uh, for tra meaningful, transformative change. I yeah. think that's uh, and some of the best changes come from the best negotiators. However, I think that all collectively, all of our General Assembly, and that's all over America, they need to start look taking a closer a microscope to what's really going on. And bringing that to light that the judges did that in Pennsylvania, do, I, I don't want people to think it's not possible to happen in any other state in America. And, and people think of things going, things happening like that during Reconstruction, during debt peonage, during the chain gang, um, back when we had segregation, Jim Crow. No, this just happened. This is fresh news. Mm -hmm. It's not acceptable. A lot of these issues that we consider to be in the past, a hundred years ago, down in the South. No, it's happening right next door, and right. it's happening right in our community sometimes, too. One of the I was honored to work on my first corrections bill this year. Oh, good. It was, it was a lot of fun. So uh, when it comes to the correction space, historically, the work that I've done is on the proactive end. Uh, like Frederick Douglass said, it's easier to raise a, uh, it's easier to fix a child. Than, and it's easier to raise a child than it is to fix a man. Yes. But for me, we also have to make sure that we take care of our brothers and sisters that are incarcerated. Yes. And my bill... Uh, I believe it was, I don't want to say the incorrect number, but it was a house bill around earn good time credits. Okay. So that bill, I worked on it with, uh, with house majority leader, Valerie Longhearts. It was initiated yes. through her and I was able to land it. So the bill, which I sponsored was our brothers and sisters dealing with earn good time credits were having a lot of issues where, Sometimes our earned good time credits weren't transferring from pre-child or post-child. They weren't transferring when they went from one facility to another facility, and they were being disregarded because some individuals looked at them as criminals. And for me, no, they are children of God. They deserve respect, honor, and dignity like we all do. They just made a stupid or silly mistake. Most of them. Now, some of them, Jeffrey Dahmer and, and those folks, I don't know. I can't speak about them. But most of the people that are incarcerated in America today, if they had been thinking straight, they wouldn't have done it. They, wouldn't have, they would never have done it had they been thinking clearly uh, if they weren't under emotional distress or something or passion or whatever it is uh, that, that folks were going on. But I think that people like Jeffrey Dahmer, and I'm using him, uh, and Ted Bundy and these people, they, they thought about it. They devised a plan <laughs> of how they were going to get some things accomplished, you know, and eating people, locking them up in the refrigerator in the basement. Like, that's totally not cool. You need counseling if you're doing that. Right. Uh, but, yeah, they're human beings. They need help. And we need more rehabilitation in our prisons. But I want to ask you, uh, have you heard any buzz about having a judicial oversight committee in lieu of the conversation. We know that judges are human too. Judges make mistakes. And sometimes they walk into the courtrooms, put on their black robes, and they have their own set of prejudices and biases. Who's oversighting uh, the judges? Like, have you heard any buzz about that? And 
in regards to your your question, there is a judicial committee in the General Assembly in the House of Representatives as well as in the Senate, and they are they do have some level of oversight. However, in regards to specifically an oversight committee in that regard, those are the types of questions that are being asked. Those are the conversations that are being had. But one of the things that you learn in Dover is that you have to be very deliberate about your movements when you talk about things at that higher level. Those aren't things that you roll out or you introduce in the in a conversation, uh, particularly on the radio. So I'll just say that a lot of conversations are being had around a lot of these types of issues. Yes. But in regards to um, anything definitively, anything definitive that I can roll out right now, no, there's nothing to formally roll out right now. Okay, that's fine, and I accept that answer. I I think I'm just, you know, looking to applaud our public servants that are not afraid of judges. And I know that when you start even using the word judge, now you're way up here in this level, and that's 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 a, that's you better be on your your game plan to be up in this you level. You have to be very deliberate, strategic. Yes. There's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of power brokers yes. at play, and you have to make sure that you you execute for success. Sometimes, yeah. um, when you have uh, certain combos about certain things too early or too publicly, you didn't, you, you weren't as deliberate as you yes. needed to be for success. Yeah. And for me and for you, what matters most is in-game. What matters most is success and meaningfully, you know, pushing that dial forward for our community. I wonder, I, I'm not asking a question. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, the little bubble on the top of my head is wondering how did judges get to be so powerful that so many people tiptoe on rice paper uh, in in their presence or anything that has to do with them. I don't know how that happened, but I'm going to keep researching and eventually I'll come up with the answer. Uh, so moving forward, uh, we have a little time left. And so I, yeah, we do have a little time left. So tell me more about what are some of the initiatives, things that you would like to see, uh, not only in, in your district, but that maybe you can sprinkle over uh, to some of our other legislators in Dover. So some of the things that I'm really super passionate about are education and economics, because what's the point of staying in school if there's not a decent paying job at the end of it? Yeah. And for me, uh, some of those things that I've shared are what some of the things that I'm, I'm very passionate about. Education, economics, environmental justice. A lot of our communities have been disproportionately impacted by pollution and sometimes we don't know what are the long-term effects of that. Um, uh, my mentor, Ron Handy, even talks about that. That's my guy. <laughs> I love Ron. I grew up with Ron Handy. Nice, kids. yes, yes. Nice. So he even talks about that uh, that correlation between pollution and you know criminal justice. You know, how does that impact a young brain's ability to grow and develop properly? You know, mm -hmm. uh, the impacts of pollution on the ability to problem solve and, and rational thinking, rational impulse yeah. control, etc. Yes, yes. So all of those are the types of things that we need to un unpack because there are correlations that sometimes we're not even aware of. Yeah. I'm honored that I get to, I'm going to have a meeting coming up with tomorrow's change. 
uh, that is uh, Black-owned mental and behavioral health services uh, service uh, provider for youth in our community. They do meaningful work. They're amazing. And we want to talk about some of the barriers that they have to engaging young people because sometimes when that barrier of money comes up, you know, in our for-profit system, um, <laughs> we want to look at ways that we can just engage with our kids and prioritize people over profits. And I, I think that you, you've been saying it since we've been here in the interview. I've just been keeping it rolling, but I, I have not missed anything that you've said. Uh, and you've talked about and used the word economics uh, on more than one uh, topic that we've talked about. And I agree with you, Larry. What good is it to finish graduating school uh, or whatever, go to college, if there's no paycheck at the end of it all? So, and then, of course, people coming home from prison. If they don't get jobs, they're going to do what? Recidivate. So I think economics is very important. Redlining, having nice houses, the ability to at least dream it work hard, and then achieve it. Yeah. I want to live out in Hokessin, you know? I want to grow up and live out in Hokessin someday. So what can we, the people, do, if there's anything? How can we be more empowered to help people like you or work with our elected officials to empower our economics? Uh, it's been told to me, and it was told to me by Elder Ty, uh, that J.P. Morgan had done a research and he shared with me, Elder Ty Johnson shared with me, that J.P. Morgan's research had come to 276 years uh, that some nationalities have above black folks, brown-hued people, because of the slave thing in America. So 276 years, they've got an economical advantage. How are we going to ever catch up? What can we do? So one of the things that we have to do is we have to have these challenging conversations like we're having now. We have to talk about what are the next steps? What are the meaningful next steps? One of the ways that we can be supported from the elected official standpoint is remembering that civics isn't just about election day. When we go to pass these big tough bills like my first year in office, we passed the largest minimum wage increase in Delaware's history. We went from having the 27th minimum wage to the 11th minimum wage. Our minimum wage of $10.75 is now on a pathway to going to $15. That's where we start talking about you know, family sustaining wages and really helping all of our communities out. So for me, it's not just, for me, it's making sure you stay engaged. There may be a time when you need to advocate, when you need to call your legislator and encourage them to support meaningful bills. We may even need some people to consider running for office when their legislator isn't doing the right thing. Mm. So for me, at the end of the day, our state is so diverse. There are so many opportunities for us to plug in. We just need to make sure that we're staying engaged and we're having these combos. Some of the most talented, savvy, quickest brains in all of America are right here in Delaware. Mm -hmm. We need to stop splintering our efforts and dividing our efforts and come together and synergize, synergize our energy for collective change. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm going to take that one and borrow it as well. 
It's time to synergize our energy for the collective well-being. I love that. In meaningful, transformative <laughs> ways. That's right. That's right. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. It's fabulous. Um, so, yeah, civics doesn't just take place right at the voting polls uh, or the mail-in ballots. It takes place in the knowledge, having the knowledge. One of the things I did here for the Political Power Hour, because people had talked to me, grown-ups had said to me, how did politics get started? How do I know who to vote for? Where did right. it all begin? So I went all the way back, did my research, and was astonished at some of the things that I found. And it starts at the Constitution. The Constitution. And then uh, at one point, the Republicans were really brown-hued people. Self-independent, brown-hued people. Uh, in the early days, we were Republicans. Mm -hmm. And then later on, it kind of switched that we became the, the Civil blue. Rights Act of 64, Voting Rights Act of 65, they switched. Yes, yes. I was wondering when that happened. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it happened because uh, when President Kennedy was killed in 63 and then Lyndon Johnson took over, he passed some of the, he was, a, they, he was of the opposite party from, from President Kennedy. And when he passed those bills, the voting, uh, Civil Rights Act of 64, Voting Rights Act of 65, things started shifting and then it got solidified with the Fair Housing Act of 68. And by that time it was a wrap. They had officially switched. Wow. That's good knowledge. And, and I love learning and I hope and pray my, my listening audience, you also love learning. I know you do because you're geniuses. Uh, out there. So, wow, that's interesting. It officially solidified in 68 with the Fair Housing Act. I'm going to do some research on that. So, teach us a little bit more. But you're a Democrat. A proud Democrat. A proud Democrat. <laughs> Waving that blue. I love it. Um, and yeah, so economics, education, uh, justice, reform, systems with an S at the end. Right, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, the, yeah. and another thing, too, uh, when people talk about our system is broken, we need to fix our system, systems produce the outcomes they are designed to produce. Mm -hmm. We did not get here by accident. Right. This is very intentional, very deliberate, and that's why we have to come together, have these conversations and strategize and work together. Um, there are individuals that when they see these economic opportunities, these federal infrastructure dollars coming down, there are people that are out to get a piece of that pie. They see this as dinner. The wolves are coming to feast. We have to remember that the people that have been doing the work, the people you've already seen in your community, those are the people that you trust. Those are the people that are meaningful. But if all of a sudden there's a lot of new people around, a lot of new people trying to be your friend right here in the city, you know, right there in Claymont, you have to ask yourself the question, why are you here now? Why are you showing up when the money shows up? Right. Why, I love the way you frame that. The wolves are coming out to dinner because the money... The federal grant money is coming down the pike, or has come down the pike. It's landed. In go. some places, it's actually landed. You, uh, you know, Mayor Mike Przicki just got quite a bit of, a uh, couple of pennies there from the federal government to do quite a bit of things here in Wilmington. And I think it is important 
that are, and I don't remember the name just that fast, what you called it, the 40-something, where the we... Justice 40. Justice 40. Yeah. We need to make sure that, that our communities are getting some of that money. Yeah. To this day, as we speak, Delaware is still the only state that formally started a Justice 40 Oversight Committee. I've had discussions with our brothers and sisters in Illinois, California, Maryland is working on something. There's a lot of different states that are trying to take meaningful steps forward, and they, they've made some progress, and we celebrate that. But it's a shame that over a year and a half after President Biden introduced this initiative, that Delaware is still the only state that formally established this. We have to be in a position where we have oversight. And I do want to be clear. My resolution, House Concurrent Resolution 40, passed in the, general, the, the last General Assembly, it doesn't establish that I'm now the governor dispensing money. I'm not giving out money. It's oversight. So our agencies are responsible for dispensing money, you know, handing out funds, appropriating funds and things of that sort from these uh, federal and these federal funds. However, we have the oversight to be able to see and to analyze. And that's where you get into accountability. Did these funds go where, where they need to go? Did these communities benefit, you know, with up to 40 percent of these investment benefits? It's things of that sort. So it's still a work in progress. You can go to de.gov backslash justice 40, capital J, U-S-T-I-C-E, four zero, de.gov backslash justice 40 with a capital J. That's how you can see. You'll get to see all of our meetings on YouTube. Those are available on YouTube. You'll be able to see our agendas, our meeting minutes. We did an entire documentation repository so that you can follow the entire flow of everything that we've done. Oh, that's wonderful. And I will be visiting there. That's de.gov backslash justice40. Okay. Back For some reason, you have to capitalize the J. <laughs> However, they <laughs> created it. So I'm going to ask this uh, and, and as one of my final questions. Uh, before we leave for the day, I want to ask this question, and I guess... It's some of it's personal, but I know that I'm not the only female business entrepreneur out there uh, who's looking for a hand up, not a handout, but a hand up. Tell me where can a small business go to get assistance, uh, especially women, black women. Where can we go to get some assistance with our business? Maybe, maybe we sell cupcakes. <laughs> you know, where do we go? So. I just introduced one of my larger bills, the Delaware Earns Bill, establishing a state-facilitated retirement savings plan for individuals that, for mom-and-pop small businesses, such as, you know, your, your salon owners, your cupcake makers, your yes. barbers, yes. landscapers, yes. nail techs. Yes. So what happens is half of working Delawareans, 200,000 Delawareans, don't have access to retirement savings plans because the majority of people that have retirement savings plans are through employer-sponsored plans. So we're creating a state-facilitated plan where if you have five or more employees, you'll be able to plug directly in. Your money will have that high-end money market manager, 
7% interest, you know, increase every year, you know, in good years. So for us, that is one of the ways that I've tried to help small business owners through legislature, through legislation, which is my job. In regards to specifically answering your question, if your small business is a nonprofit, there, there's a lot of wonderful businesses out there. Um, there's a uh, African American woman in my district that deals with uh, period poverty and helping out uh, young ladies, um, menstruating people. That uh, Dana um, is the organization, the nonprofit organization that helps out nonprofits. In regards to small businesses, if you're looking at entrepreneurship, things of that sort, um, Delaware does have an office of small business that can help out, can put you, at least put you in the right direction. One of the more effective organizations that I've engaged with, and just today I was engaging with, um, with, with them, is the launcher program. So when it was in Claymont, um, my former fourth grade math teacher, uh, Miss Cohen, <laughs> um, she was the one who ran the program. So um, Launcher is back. It's based out of Western Neighborhood House now, right in the okay. city. So um, that program is across all three counties, and 98% of the entrepreneurs they've helped are entrepreneurs of color. Awesome. I personally connected a young black female. She was doing catering. In my district, she was so generous, she volunteered and catered one of my campaign events, connected her to Launcher, the rest is history. She started her business. Um, there's lovely, wonderful black female-owned small businesses in my community. And like I said, when I had a bill signing, the first bill signing in my district, I did it at the Mayha Bookstore uh, with Miss M, who runs it which is a black female uh, book on Afrocentric books and, yes. and wonderful. She's wonder amazing. Isn't she the best? She I've known is. her for 20 years. So um, so, so that's one of the ways that I like to support our small businesses. That's awesome. I, I, just, I just appreciate you so much, Larry Lambert, House Representative for the 7th District, uh, but sprinkling, or as you called it, I think it was the butterfly rippling effect yeah. uh, into all of Delaware legislation. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. I'm so honored to be here with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, tell us one more time, just make sure that my listening audience knows how to reach you. If if somebody wants to call you or, or email you or, or text message you and get in touch to ask a few more questions, Please. how would they go about doing that? Feel free to reach out to me anytime. I'm always available. I'm always here for you. You can contact me at Larry.Lambert at Delaware.gov. That's my email address. Awesome. You can also find me at Facebook.com backslash Rep Larry Lambert. You can also feel free to call me directly. Uh, one of uh, my Google line is 302-408-0901. Awesome. Say that Google line again. My Google number is 408-0901. And should we put the 302? Yeah, 302 in front of it. That is correct. Super. Uh, because we're broadcasting all over the world. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Believe it or not, between Make Some Intelligent Noise, my Facebook, as well as WHGE, uh, our websites, we are broadcasting all over the world. Excellent. So who knows where they're going to find you. You never know who might call <laughs> you. you. Uh, but I personally want to say thank you so much again. 
Uh, I, I'm very impressed. I'm impressed with today's interview. And I've got to say to my listening audience, as much as I've met Larry here or there, little spot places, and we may have said hello once or twice, this is the very first time that I've really sat down and engaged this man in a heart-to-heart -heart and intelligent conversation. And I'm very impressed. Thank you. I really am very impressed. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and we wish you the very best success as well. So I'm Rochelle Wilson. You have been listening to the Political Power Hour. And um, I just want to share one more thing with you before we take off. As I already stated, the August quarterly is going on. Started on August 21st. Today is the 24th. And on the 28th, it will be over. Please come out. Uh, contact the Mother, uh, I believe it's Mother African Union Church, 9th and Franklin Street, 812 North Franklin Street. Uh, find out more about what is going on for the August quarterly celebration. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is our celebration. The celebration of Peter Spencer founding in 1813 the very first, the very first church of religious freedom where we did not have to be under anyone else's thumb but our own. So we thank you Peter Spencer for that and I really want folks to to do the history and teach it to your children. For God's sakes, it's a sin to have this wisdom and this knowledge and to take it to your grave. Don't do that. Share it and part it with the young people around us. They need to know their history because it actually empowers them. It empowers them. All right. And remember, September 10th. 2022. We are looking for you at our Family Fun Festival. I'm so excited. I will be, thank you to Mr. Harmon Carey, I will be the mistress of ceremony that day. Uh, they're going to hand me a microphone. Woohoo, boy, you shouldn't have done that. Hand me a microphone and turn, wind me up and let me go. So I will be there from 12 p.m. until 7 p.m. Come on out. Buy me a water rice, engage me in a conversation, tell the elders to bring their little chairs and their little umbrellas in case it's kind of hot and the sun is out. We'll be at 11th and Kirkwood Street, Kirkwood Park, here on the east side. We want you to show up for an absolutely fun, family fun festival. Uh, we've got some great entertainment as well, so you definitely want to share, share, share. Let everyone know, September 10th, I will be looking for you. I'm Rochelle Wilson. Today, for the Political Power Hour, I will see you on Saturday at 1 o'clock p.m. We will talk some more about Make Some Intelligent Noise, the movement for justice. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, take care of yourselves. Be good to yourself. But always remember that karma is real. Be good to others. Peace and grace.